as we come back to the book of Hebrews, I want to just point one simple thing out about the book, and that is the book of Hebrews begins with a profound concept. Right out of the gate, Hebrews is telling us magnificent and significant things. Now, I say that in contrast to many of the other books of the Bible that we have. For instance, if you turn back just one book, you come to Philemon. And in Philemon, we read Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. And you have this this whole introductory comment that kind of orients you as to who's writing, who's receiving this letter, that kind of thing. Well, that was pretty typical, if you think about it, to many of the New Testament books. And if you turn to the next book after Hebrews, you get James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And they kind of give you these setup verses, if you will, as to kind of orient you as to what is going on. The book of Hebrews starts differently. The book of Hebrews begins with this profound concept laid out right out of the gate. When I read it, It reminds me of a couple of other books that begin this way. You know what they are. The book of Genesis begins with a profound concept. In, or, or, we're going to John already, okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's right there. God's existence, God's powerful hand at working in his creation. That's where we start. Very profound. The Gospel of John, the same way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Whoa, magnificent truth. No slow starting on these, on these books. Right there, the foundational principle laid out. Not only as in Genesis where God is the creator, but then we come and we find in John that, that there is this divine logos, the word. And then he will get to in just a few verses. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we understand that Christ, who is the word, who is made flesh, was also preeminent in his existence. Magnificent truths laid out from the very beginning. Truths that I honestly, and I say this in all sincerity, I find they stop me in my tracks every time I try and enter into those books. Because where do you go? How do you get your arms around so much truth put into such a few words? And you just have to stop and just be be just enthralled with it once again because there's no way I can understand the full depth of it. Well, that to me is what Hebrews is like as it begins. It begins with a profound concept. We saw the first part of it last week when we read God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Now, that is simply the first half to this profound concept. Which is why last week when we looked at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, I had in my notes, although you didn't have it in that particular one, but I had in my notes that this was not point one, this was point one half. And today we have point two half. 
Because you'll see together, they create that, that profound statement. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Now, that's as far as we're going to go today. There's more to that second verse. But that profound concept in its entirety laid out for us. This book is going to have us thinking, friends. Right out of the gate, in its entirety, it says, in times past, God has spoken through the prophets. But now in these last days, he's done something different. If you will, there's a second half to the way he is speaking. There's a second half into the way he is revealing himself. And I would like to refer to it as the better half. And as we go through the book of Hebrews, you'll understand why I say that because that word better will come up a number of times throughout the book of Hebrews. And as we saw last week, we saw from that first half of this profound statement that God has always been revealing himself to us in times past. He revealed as he spoke, he revealed to the fathers as he spoke through the prophets. But I would like to just throw out for our thoughts for the second half of this profound statement is he took things to a new level for these last days. He did something qualitatively and significantly different in how he was revealing himself and he brought it to a whole new level, a whole new way to catch our attention. And we are going to spend a good amount of time looking what he has done. And friends, I got to tell you, I'm excited about it. I am, I am just so excited about digging into the book of Hebrews for this singular purpose. I've just come to, I mean, there's all sorts of things you can preach on when you're in pastoral ministry. There's one thing that I have never tired of, probably because it's the one thing I know for sure. The older I get, the less I seem to know for sure. But the one thing I love to be able to proclaim is that Christ alone is who we need. He is who he claimed to be. He's our only remedy for sin. He is the one that the entire scripture points to. And we have the chance week by week to look at him and see how magnificent he is. That's going to be fun, friends. That's going to be fun. I am looking forward to that. And so that's the profound concept. God has always been revealing himself to us, but he took things to a new level for these last days. Now, as we're contemplating this concept of revelation, the the writer to Hebrews, he's going to say a whole lot more about that. But before we go any further, I just had a sense that we need to lay a foundation about this whole concept of God revealing himself. I would like us to consider that in a a little bit fuller form than we have right here. And in order to do that, i got to bring one more verse into into our understanding today. And that verse is uh, beginning in Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Now, in Romans chapter 1, verse 19, we're actually in the middle of a discussion of, of of a bigger context. But there's something in there that I want to pick up as... uh, Paul, writing to the Romans, said this, What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And Paul is really laying out here another means by which God has been revealing himself. So we have three means. The one in Romans 1, 19 and 20, Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. That's what we're going to look at for this morning and just try and get our arms around them in their, um, perhaps the best way to say it is in their relationship to each other. And so in order to do this, I've created an incredibly complex, highly technical uh, PowerPoint presentation. Spent hours on this to come up with one slide. All right, Paul, can we see this one slide? You'll see how amazingly difficult it is, okay? In this first slide, or the only slide, what I'd like you to see is foundationally, we have what theologians would refer to as general revelation. Now, what we mean by general revelation, very simply, and we have it referenced in Romans 1, 19 and 20, which I just read, in general revelation... We have revelation that is just out there. Everybody has access to it. Everybody can see it. Everybody experiences it. It's there for the general populace of all humankind to experience. What is that general revelation? Romans 1.19, he says, We can know things about God by his creation. We can know his eternal power and Godhead. We have all at some point marveled when we're out in, in the wonders of God's creation and living in a rural area. Perhaps we experience it more often. Maybe we even learn to, uh, to, learn to just take it for granted. But it, there have been times when we have all been moved by the beauty and the magnificence and the power of God's creation, of just what it is that is around us. A couple of years back, uh, coming back uh, late to Trout Lake after I'd gone to Duluth with uh, Dave Stinnell uh, to see Nathan do a, a concert um, for a cancer th- uh, fundraiser, um, we were coming back probably crossing the lake about 3 a.m., I would guess. It was a beautifully clear night, and the stars were just incredible. And you got a sense is that when God said to Abraham, you know, before they had all this ambient light that cities produce, and God said to Abraham, look out on the stars, and if you can count them, that's how numerous your offspring will be. I just remember just driving across that lake, and I've never seen anything quite like it. We've all been just enraptured with that kind of beauty. And we all are faced with the question, where did it come from? How did that get here? And Paul says, the very creation itself speaks to this reality. Minimally, we can know something about God, his eternal power and his Godhead, the word eternal, that he was in existence prior to the creation. He had to be there in order to create that which we see. And so he in his 
in his existence is eternal. He pre-existed anything of the creation that we know. We can understand his power by just looking. I mean, just consider the power, say, just in one hurricane. We go, wow, that's incredible power. And we realize, yeah, that's just, that's nothing compared to God's power because God, God's power is over all of the universe. When you begin to understand the expansiveness of it, I think in terms of the, the time when I went through physics class in high school and in college and uh, stuff we learned. And, you know, they have discovered so many more things. So many more. There's particles and, and things that exist that we didn't even hear about, we didn't even know about. And they're continuing to discover in the magnificence of this universe amazing things. All of those things bespeak God's eternal power and his Godhead. Not only that he has the power to create them, but he is Lord over them. And Paul says, this revelation, general, available to everyone, he says, that is so strong that we all are accountable for it. None of us will ever be able to stand before God and say, well, God, I would have believed in you if you'd have somehow given me evidence of your presence. And he's going to say, did you ever look up in the stars at night? Do you ever look at the world around you? How do you think it got there? Sorry, lame excuse not letting you get off on that one. General revelation to everybody, anybody can see it, Romans 1, 19 and 20. Then we come to these other two which are of a different nature. They are what we will refer to as special revelation. And in special revelation, it's revelation, it's understanding of things that we would not have if God did not move. If God did not actively reveal something to us, to mankind, as I'm speaking about us, that's special revelation. It's not there for all to see. It is there to those who um, were immediate in the process as it was revealed and are willing to explore and find out about it as, as, uh, as it um, is available to them. But you don't just walk outside night and see it. Special revelation where God actively did something. And in that actively doing, in Hebrews 1.1, what we learn is there is the prophetic word that has taken place. Now let's understand the idea of, and most of you know this, but I want to make it clear for all. When we're speaking about the prophets... It's easy to say, well, what's a prophet? Well, a prophet is somebody who foretold the future. Is that true? Maybe. Whoever said yes, thank you for at least interacting with me. I did over here. Thanks, honey. You know what? We have a whole room full of adults, and I think you're the only one thinking this morning, so thank you. <laughs> Literally, it's a two-part word. It's just very simple to break it down. Pro means forth. The fat part of prophet is from a Greek word that means phemi, which means to speak, so it's speak forth. So a prophet is simply somebody who speaks forth the word of God. They proclaim it. Does that sometimes entail foretelling the future? Absolutely. Does it always entail foretelling the future? No. So we want to get a little clearer on our understanding of what it means for a 
person to be a part of this process of prophetic utterance. And very simply, what Hebrews 1 says, in the, in the prior times, prior to when he's writing, in the early times, days of old, to the fathers, God revealed himself by the prophets, by, by men and women who were given the ability to speak forth God's word at specific times in history and in varied ways. There was a lot of different ways in which it happened. Now, we touched on that briefly last week, but let's just refresh ourselves on that. What are some of the different ways in which people learned what God is doing? You know the stories. They're there. They're recorded for us. So, uh, Abraham, when God made a covenant with Abraham, how did he reveal his commitment to Abraham. Do you remember the account where he had Abraham and he sliced open some animals and he had them splay the animals out and Abraham kept the birds from coming down on the animals and then then in the evening as a smoking pot. Normally, when people were entering into a covenant with each other, they would split an animal, they would walk through it together, symbolizing, if I break my part of this covenant, may happen to me what happened to this animal. So they're making a commitment, almost like a blood commitment to it. But at this time, after Abram has split these animals, they've laid out, he's kept the birds from landing on them, and what happens? This smoking pot, which is God's presence being revealed in that way, goes through it alone, alone. That's significant. The significant is God saying, this covenant that I'm making with you is contingent upon me. And out of that, he revealed to Abraham that he would be the father of a nation, that nation that would produce Messiah. Oh, okay. That's one way in which he revealed himself. That's one of the various ways. When Joshua was about to take Jericho, God revealed to him through something we call a Christophany, but you will recall what took place. How did this happen? He, he was out circling the city, contemplating an, an attack plan, doing all the administrative things in his head, probably praying, probably trying to figure out all that has taken place already. How is God going to be at work here? And he comes across a guy in full battle armor with a sword drawn, and he says, you for us or against us? And the guy says to him, I come as the captain of the Lord's army. Take off the shoes. The place where you're standing is holy ground. And he reveals to Joshua that he's the one who's going to lead him in this battle. That Joshua needs to stay yielded to him. If you're with us on Wednesday nights, you know it wasn't too long ago that we studied uh, we studied Elijah and Mount Carmel. Remember how God revealed himself as which God you are to follow? Recall that? It's a different way in which God was revealing himself, where uh, Elijah had all the prophets of Baal said, hey, let's I got an idea here. Let's each take a sacrifice, and uh, we'll put it out there, and we'll call upon our gods, and whichever god consumes a sacrifice, they're the real god. So the prophets of Baal, 400 of them, they're out there, and they're, they've got their sacrifice put out, and they're praying and chanting. They're cutting themselves hours upon hours of this. They're exhausting themselves. Nothing happens. Baal says, or, or Elijah says, okay, forget that. Now it's my turn. Let me show you how it's done, guys. So he builds his altar, places the meat on it, takes buckets and buckets of water, douses the whole thing. There's a trench around there. There's water in the trench. This whole thing is soaked. He calls upon God. Boom. 
everything is consumed. Not only the sacrifice, the wood and the stones that were used to build the altar, the water, it's all gone. God was revealing himself. God was making himself known. That's just another way is my point. And throughout the Old Testament, we can be reading that and we can see all these different places where God was revealing himself by the prophets to the fathers of old. Hebrews 1, 1. But then we take it a little further and we see Hebrews 1, 2. Well, at least the beginning to Hebrews 1, 2. And here we have something else. In Hebrews 1, 2, we have, yes, special revelation again because it is something that we could only understand if God reveals it, and that is not the prophetic word, but it is now the incarnate word. God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Now we've got to understand what that is, friends. It's what I've already referenced with John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's what Philippians 2 speaks about in what's known as the kenosis passage. And kenosis means to empty where we learn that Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself of all the priorities and all the privileges of his godhood, and he took on the form of a servant. And the form of that servant was to take on human flesh. And in that human flesh, he became obedient even unto death, the death of the cross, that he might be our redeemer. But without doubt, without question... The entire scriptures focus in and point to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And he was God's revelation in the flesh. In the flesh. The disciples said to Jesus, show us the Father. He said, do you not know that when you see me, you see the Father? Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Where the veil of his flesh was briefly lifted for James, Peter, and John to understand that he began to, he just began to glow. The Shekinah glory that was of his essence began to just glow right through his clothing and they began to see him in all of his magnificence because he's God incarnate, God in flesh. You understand that's what that word means, right? Incarnate means in flesh. If you have chili, you have a lot of beans. If you have chili con carne, you have chili beans with meat. That's what it means, chili con carne. Christ incarnate means in flesh, in meat. He came like a human being. He took it on, the only one of all of history to have been that. So God has been revealing himself to us, has always been revealing himself to us, I should say. That's the first half of what Hebrews 1, 1 says. But then he took things to a new level for the last days, when he didn't do it through prophets who spoke the word of God, who spoke forth the word of God, he did it through the prophet who is the word of God. And everything that he did and everything that he said and everything that he was as he walked upon the earth was a full expression of very God of very God. And that's why it was at a whole new level. That's why I say it's distinct from any other revelation. 
Now, that too was special revelation. And that's why I've color-coded these, that special revelation. You'll see, the colors, didn't, they don't come out as good as I'd hoped, okay? I was trying to tweak something with those colors, but the purple wasn't as dark, and the green wasn't in dark, and the golds didn't come out right, and you guessed what I was tweaking. But we'll go. We'll just leave that go with that. Three tiers of God's revelation. One general, entirely, everybody can see it. Two special, in which a way which the only way we would know it is by God actively being engaged with it. Now, I said something last week at the end that I knew we needed to develop further. I'm going to say it again. You see, the only way for this special revelation, the only way for the general revelation, the only way for these things to have significance in our lives if we are humble enough to receive them. And this is where the struggle can really come in. There's no question God as creator has made himself known in the creation. There's no question that we have the prophetic word that was issued or spoken to the fathers. We have record of that. These, of course, we have written in the word for us. There's no question that Christ came as the incarnate word, the ultimate expression of God's revelation. The question is whether or not we're willing to receive it. And that's where the humbling comes in. I'm going to come back and show you how we can miss on every one of these. Romans chapter 1. This won't come up on the screen. I just want you to stay focused with me for a second. I said it was in a bigger context in which Paul described God's, God can be known through creation. And here's the greater context. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They push it down. They hold on. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want the general revelation. It's like darkness to them. It's as if the PowerPoint went off and they don't want to see it. And then there are some who do want to see it. And Paul goes on to say, what can be known of God is known through his creation, that general revelation. But then he writes after that what we'd already spoken about. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their hearts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And we continue to do this to this day. I think in Paul's day, there's probably a real good chance what he's referencing is peoples who decide, well, we're going to reject what God is revealing, and so we're going to set up our own system, and our own system is our own system of deities. And very often those deities involved the worship of animals and how many gazillion things have archaeologists found where there's, you know, it could be a scarab, it, it could be some form of a, a bear or anything where they worship animals. And this is what he says, where they turned and they worshiped the, uh, they turned to worship the creature rather than the creator. And that's what they did in their own rebellion because they didn't want this revelation 
I think in our day and age, I think we tend to, rather than change it into uh, where we worship the, the creature like an animal, we've just come to worship ourselves. We just think we are so smart, we simply don't need God. Plain and simple, we don't need him. We have this whole life thing figured out so significantly. Why do we need God in the picture? And we elevate ourselves and we worship ourselves. We say, we're pretty smart. Well, we know a whole lot about science. We know a whole lot about a lot of things that we didn't know. And these guys, they were just ignorant back in that day. Don't, for, don't ever forget this scripture. It says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Because that's what we do every time we just reject general revelation. Ah, oh, I can explain everything that's out there. No, you can't. Because the one thing nobody can explain is the first cause. How did it get here? And that's what speaks to God's eternal power and Godhead. I heard a guy who's super, super smart. He's a Christian man speaking. He said, if you did poll about 20, 30 years ago, before they were learning all this stuff, he said 1% of advanced PhD scientists in America would have been believers or at least theists. So with everything they've discovered as of late, it's up to about 25 or 30 because they realize there's no other way to explain this. Something else had to be there. And the creation is proclaiming that there is a creator. So that's one way, but got to be humble enough to accept that. Got to be humble enough to accept that everything that I studied in school that said there is no God, <laughs> it was wrong. That's humbling. Sorry, that doesn't, doesn't make me feel real good with that. How about special revelation of the written word? Okay. Luke chapter 16. We're not going to turn there. You know the story. The rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man, he lives real good. Lazarus, he's got boils and sores all his life. They both die. Lazarus is in a place of, of blessing. The rich man is in a place of torment. He says, just have Lazarus send come over. Just dip his finger in water and touch my tongue. I'm dying over here. He said, no, there's a big chasm between the two. Sorry, there's no one going back and forth between the two. Well, he realizes his situation is going to improve. So he says, well, send Lazarus, send Lazarus uh, back to talk to my brother so they don't wind up here. So the guy says, nope, why would I do that? He says, well, uh, he says, they've got, they've got Moses and the prophets. They've got the revealed word. That's enough to show them of what they're needed. He says, no, 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 they're not going to listen to that. And, and, and then the guy who's in torment is told, um, look, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't receive that special revelation that is already available to them, that prophetic word, if they don't receive that, neither will they receive it even if one comes back from the dead because they've already made up their mind. They're not going to humble themselves to this. See, because they're doing good. Everything's fine. Everything's good. And we can simply reject the prophetic word to our own hurt. And then, of course, there is the incarnate word, God's ultimate, God's better half, God's most incredible means of revealing himself to us. Did that automatically cause everybody to turn? No, you know it didn't. You know it didn't. You know that in the raising of Lazarus, 
There were many people, John tells us, after Jesus raised Lazarus, you know the story, right? He'd been dead for four days. Tells him to open the tomb. He calls him forth. Lazarus comes forth. Lazarus comes out of the grave, still bound up. And he says, loose him and let him go. And Lazarus is raised from death after being dead for four days. Some believed, John tells us. And others went to the religious leaders and said, you're not going to believe what we just watched with our eyes. We just saw it. You know what the religious leader said? Wow, this guy's really pulling off some great tricks. We better be careful because if he keeps doing this, um, we think maybe Rome is going to get a little stirred up. Come away, take our place in our nation. Guys, we got it too good. We can't let that happen, so here's what we'll do. We'll put him to death. See, Jesus was right in his parable about Lazarus and the rich man. Though one rise from the dead, they won't believe because they're already in a place of rejecting. They're too proud. And so now, not only does it happen to fulfill, if you will, that um, the, uh, the parable that Jesus told, but what took, takes place in Matthew chapter 28? Jesus himself, they do put him to death. And they think, good, we're done here. Got that one taken care of, only to find out. They're getting reports on that first day of the week. <laughs> the tomb is empty. And the guard has come and said, here's what we experienced. He's out of there. He's gone. He was raised from the dead. And what did they say? Did they humble themselves? Did they say, wow, we better quit fighting God here. God has clearly revealed himself here. Now, they said, here, we'll give you some money. We'll pay you off. You tell a lie. And if it comes to the governor's ears, because your life could be in danger for what has taken place because you didn't guard the tomb, if it comes to the governor's ears, we'll intercede for you, and uh, uh, it'll be fine. But tell them, tell them that the disciples came and stole the body. You see, friends, the question is not, is God revealing himself to us? He has been and is and will continue to reveal himself to us. And the greatest revelation is in the very person of Jesus Christ. But we got to be humble enough to recognize we don't know everything. We can't solve everything. We can't fix everything. And particularly, we have no remedy for sin other than what he has done. And we can't even begin to get traction on putting things right in our thinking unless we're willing to receive what he has done on our behalf. And the scripture says, to as many as received him, to them he, became, he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe in his name. But that takes a confession. That takes an admission. That takes understanding the reality that, you know what? And the Bible says I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. <laughs> it speaks truth because I am a sinner and I do need help. The Bible has revealed to us where that help is. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, many of you have been hearing me speak for many, many years. You know I love you. You know I'm on your side. But we've got to ask the question, have you been listening for all these years and never, ever humbled yourself? to acknowledge that you need Christ like everybody else here in this room. That God has revealed him as the only remedy of, to our sin. Is today the day something needs to happen in our lives? 
That's between us and God. But he is making himself known. He's not the question mark in this, friends. This is the question mark. If you have never made that transaction with Jesus Christ, may I encourage you, the hardest part is humbling yourself. The hardest part is recognizing the need because he's done all the work. And in recognizing the need, then simply confessing to him, saying, Lord, I've been putting it off too long. I've been rejecting your revelation too long. I've been rejecting the incarnate word too long. I need you in my life because I'm a sinner and you alone are my help. You alone can save me and I call upon you now. Be my savior, please. And he will. He will. He has promised he will. Father, thank you for the magnificence of the incarnate word. The general revelation, Lord, will move us to see your creation. It, it amazes us what you've done there. Reading your word is, is, is wonderful, Lord, and see how you worked for all those centuries through the prophets. We're amazed by that, Father. Your creativity and the, the various ways and how you, how you kept revealing to us yourself. But, oh, Lord, how do we come to Christ and not just fall before him? And not just humble ourselves before him because of our need and because of the magnitude of who he is. And so, Lord, I ask that by your spirit, you spur us, you prompt us. You, you give us the victory over the proud spirit that says, I will not yield to Jesus Christ. And that today, if there's anyone in this worship center, and as maybe I've heard this message literally for decades, Father, if there's anyone in this worship center, who does not know Christ, that today will be the day when they say, Lord Jesus, I have a need. Come into my life. We ask it in his precious name. Amen.